We're going to conclude this series talking about a guy who was stripped down himself. And in fact, it's my belief that God is in the business of stripping people down, be it nations, kingdoms, thrones, or individuals. And no one here is excluded from that stripping down. And he'll do it in measure throughout your lives. He may be doing it to you right now. If he hasn't, he will. I was thinking about the, my own personal times of being stripped down. I remember about 20 years ago, standing in the back of the church with a couple of friends, and we were having fun. We were, I was sort of making fun of a, of a radio preacher it was actually this black dude who would, who would read the scripture. He would, I can even remember the scripture, and I was imitating him. The scripture was, in the latter days, and the guy next to him would go, in the latter days, you know, and he would echo it every time. And the whole sermon that went that way. And uh, I imitated this guy and screamed at the top of my lungs. And I can still remember this incredible burning sensation in my vocal cords. When I did that, I don't know if God was getting me for making fun of a black preacher or what. I don't know. But I, I felt like something happened. And the next couple of weeks as I was preaching, my voice started cutting out on me. And going out on me. And dying out on me. And I could barely get to the evening service without, and I would literally be whispering through my sermons and I even went to a, you know, a ears, eyes, and throat, ears, nose, and throat doctor, rather, and found out I had nodules that were, had developed, and uh, I could lose my voice. I can still remember being in tears thinking, oh, God, for my foolishness, are you going to take my calling away from me? These last few verses of Haggai are a message that he would preach on the very same day. It was actually his fourth and final message preached on the same day as his third message, the one we looked at last week. And uh, Haggai wasn't concerned about his vocal cords, but God was concerned about encouraging his leader who had been stripped down. His name was Zerubbabel. And beginning in verse 20, it says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai. On the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down. Everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel. I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. 
I don't think you could possibly miss the apocalyptic language in that statement. Shake, overthrow, destroy, overthrow, go down. Language that circles back to chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7 where he, where he said a little bit earlier, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, the dry land. I will also shake the nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. There is coming a day, and God wanted Zerubbabel to know this, and us too, that every king, every kingdom, every nation, and every warrior will bow their knees to the king of all the kings. And they will bow, we will bow, before King Jesus. This is a picture right out of Revelation 19 and the return of Christ himself and the setting up of his messianic millennial kingdom that in essence will have no end. And if God strips down kingdoms, then the subjects of those kingdoms must also be stripped down. That would be you and me, right? In this special concluding message, this message is earmarked for one man, Zerubbabel, a man who undoubtedly felt stripped down. I purposely use that term because uh, a few weeks ago, a few weeks back in our, in our staff meeting, Brother Kevin Thomas who had been attending all the staff meetings after about a week after his devastating stroke and heart attack, um, I finally said, Kevin, talk to us. Give us the, your own personal assessment of how you're doing. And he knew it was coming, so he was a little primed, so he started talking, doing real good for about two minutes there. And then he started to struggle. His words weren't coming together. His memory wasn't serving him so well. And he paused, and he looked at all of us, and he said, God is stripping me down. And in that moment, all of us could feel the truth of his statement. And it was all that I could do but look across the room and say, yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And I saw in there a metaphor for all of us. God will strip you down until you relinquish all of your pride and self-justification and look up to him. God's reign, wherever it is to be, requires complete and unconditional surrender. For years... There have been a group of us who have prayed that in this very church right here, as well as our church plants, God would bring revival. But we recognize that revival requires that we be stripped down. And it doesn't really matter whether we're talking about nations or people. For God to have his way in you, for God to have his way in me, we must be stripped down. Of all glory, 
Do you believe that? Our nation is experience what I, experiencing what I believe is an incremental stripping down. We don't have the honor. We don't have the glory that we once had in this world. But he will do the same thing to you. In fact, there's no question in my mind he's doing that in some of your lives right now. And he's done it throughout history. Great men and women of God. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. God stripped him down through a severe case of gout and depression. As well as a controversy with a Baptist fellowship that had disfellowshipped him. Hmm. For Moody, D.L. that is, he was stripped down through a fire that engulfed Chicago. For Corey Ten Boom, she was literally stripped naked in front of her male Nazi prisoner, prison guards. For the Jewish people, six million of their sons and daughters were taken out during World War II. Within Baptist circles of, that we have aligned ourselves over the years, the great preacher R.T. Ketchum was stripped down by blindness. John MacArthur, a personal hero of mine, stripped down through vicious attacks by believers, no less. John Piper, stripped down through a struggling son in a marriage that struggled for a time. Elizabeth Elliot and four other godly women stripped down through the martyrdom of their husbands, speared to death by Alka Indians. And then those mothers in Moore, Oklahoma last week, how are they being stripped down as they hold their deceased children? Thousands of people every day in persecuted countries are being stripped down because of their love for Jesus. For that, for Kevin Thomas and that phrase that, he, that came out of his mouth, it came by way of a devastating stroke and heart attack. For me, thus far, <laughs> I hate that phrase, but I got to throw it in there. It's been disrupted. It's been a disrupted voice. Sudden loss of a wife. Character flaws revealed through the course of a new marriage, a combined family, a kid that nearly died, and other children I thought would die spiritually. And oh, there have been other things like the rejection of peers and institutions, broken relationships, and my basketball game, which has gone to pot. Okay, that doesn't count. But how about you? How is God stripping you down? How will God strip you down? The writer of Hebrews says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. That's everything. And he's the one whom we must give an account. Zerubbabel is here singled out for the first time. If you've been with us in this series, every time Haggai preaches in all these messages, except for this one, it's to Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, 
the high priest, and to all the remnant. And the response was always Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant. In every case, until now. One guy, and one guy only, is singled out. And that is the leader of the people, Zerubbabel. Here's a word for the highest man in office. The would-be king, who because of dominion of another nation, had been stripped down of authority. He was only a governor. Nevertheless, the main burden of responsibility lay squarely on his shoulders. Even his name was a stripped down, Zerubbabel, one born in Babylon. It probably doesn't hurt to remind the church on occasion of the special pressures a pastor carries that no one else in the assembly ever carries. He's called to carry those burdens, and he must not shirk responsibility or complain about it. Yet it might help you to know that there are burdens, burdens that only he knows, only he endures, only he carries, only he cries over. And then wipes the tears from his eyes and carries on. Now listen to me. Those of you with a low view of pastoral leadership will never see these things, much less sympathize with the burden. But God does. Which is why he exhorts people of God in the church to, in regards to the pastor, esteem them very highly for their work's sake. Have you ever read that? Not for personality, not for charisma, not even for their personal giftedness, but just for the stinking work that they got to do. And God is saying, just lift this man up. He's carrying a load you will never know. And when his people don't come through, God does. And that's the, that's the message of this last, these last few verses of Haggai. Such was the case with this man. The people had responded positively to Haggai's message, if you'll recall at the very beginning. Yeah, we'll do it. After the, you know, after the foundation had laid there for 16 years. And yet, as we've gone through these messages, it seems like Haggai, the hammer, has to keep coming in and give him a kick, you know. And help him out. And Zerubbabel, is the, he's just a governor. He's not a king. He doesn't have a whole lot of authority. He's got, he's got some. And so, on top of this, you know, here is this, these people who, who responded initially, but then they fell back into their complaining, they fall back into their comparing, they fall back into their criticizing, just like the people of God do to this present hour. And on top of that, you got the enemies out there lurking. Trying to pummel. And they always try to knock off the leadership because you kill the head, you know the rest will die, right? And so Zerubbabel, their leader, understandably is discouraged, is discouraged rather. His people aren't pumping him up, so God does. And he sends a message to him by way of the hammer. 
Haggai and says, I have a word for Zerubbabel. First of all, I, you, think there's, you think the kingdoms around you are strong? I'm going to bring them down. Every one of them and their writers and their warriors, they're all going to submit to me someday. And you, Zerubbabel, my servant, which had to be a word of encouragement to him, huh? My servant. But it was more than that. God comes in and calls him, I will make you like a signet ring. You see that there? The signet ring was a symbol of promise and power. A promise to do something and the power to back it up. Remember the expression, some of you when you were a kid, you know, uh, somebody would threaten you, I'm going to beat you up, and you'd say, yeah, you and what? You and whose army? (laughs) The signet ring on a king's finger would say, my army. (laughs) Okay. It was a stone specially cut with the symbol of the person in power on it. It basically served as the king's signature. That's where the word comes from. But Zerubbabel was not a king. He had kingly blood flowing through his veins. He was the grandson of Jehoiakim, the last king of Israel. But the ring was reserved for kings. And Israel was under dominion. Another pagan man wore the signet ring, not Zerubbabel. He wasn't a king. He had no signet ring. And this is where it gets very interesting, by the way. Approximately 70 years earlier, Zerubbabel's wicked uh, grandfather, Jehoiakim, named his grandson, or I'm sorry, his son, Jeconiah, the J-E, it stands for Jehovah, and Kaniah means signet ring. So this worthless king, Jehoiakim, named his son in a bold, presumptuous move, God's signet ring. But God disgusted with Jeconiah. Can you remember what he did? He's the one that Jeremiah wrote the letter to. It was read to him, and every time a few lines were written, he'd cut it off and throw it in the fire, cut it off and throw it in the fire, cut it off and throw it in the fire. And God says, that's enough out of you. In fact, it says in Jeremiah chapter 22, it says this, As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, notice God doesn't even call him Jeconiah, he takes his name out of his name. Though Kaniah, the son of Je- Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, I'd tear it off. That's how disgusted God is. In other words, Jehoiakim, you're done. You're toast. You've screwed up your opportunity to, to be in the lineage. But wait, 70 years or so later, Jehoiakim's grandson comes along. That's Zerubbabel, who loves God. And God sort of, in, in, a, in a spiritual sense, reverses the curse. And he says to him, I will make you like a signet ring. God says to Zerubbabel, in essence, I know you're not a king with a signet ring, but I'm making you my personal signet ring. You are my symbol of authenticity. I've chosen you. Do you think that encouraged him? 
And to this day, when you read the genealogy of Christ in Matthew 1 or Luke 3, you find Zerubbabel. He's in there. Every one of us has a story. Some of you have illustrious past. Most of you don't. All of us must find ourselves in the bigger story. But in order for that, we got to get small. We have to accept the stripping hand of God in our lives. God said to Zerubbabel, you are my, you are my signet. I'm going to make my impression. In fact, you will be the impression of me. Later on, the Apostle Paul said that God's intention with his children is that for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That's the word where we get our word to morph. It, the idea it carries the idea of seizing somebody, laying hand, hold of someone. That's what God does. He lays hold of us. And it conveys the idea of changing us from the inside out. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's what the Bible says God's intention is for us. God is constantly stripping us of ourselves, our wisdom, our knowledge, our plans, our assumptions, our loves, our goals. Even the most cherished people in our lives if necessary. In order to get us, or rather to get his image to come through. And he'll do whatever it takes. He'll go deep. And here is why he's stripping you down. He's stripping you down because he wants to create his impression in you. So I just want to finish our time here with this word desirable with a few questions for you. Are you somehow in some way being stripped down right now? Are you embracing the experience as the hand of God? Or are you cursing your experience as the hand of men? What picture, this is an important question for you, what picture of Jesus' image is being formed in you through this experience? Or is there any picture at all because you're just fighting it the whole way? What picture? of Jesus' image is being formed in you right now. The Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, who kept falling into their grotesque legalism, like some of you probably do, he said to them, my little children, in whom I labor in birth pangs again, until Christ be morphe, formed in you. What aspect of Jesus' image is God attempting to form in you right now through this experience that you're going through, this stripping down? When you walk away from someone, the person you were with last night, let's say, when you walk away from someone, anyone, would they be left with an impression of Jesus? Finally, is Jesus' impression, has his impression been stamped on your heart? Some of you, 
That's not the case. There's no image of God in you because you've never placed your faith in his son. Every one of us are born with an image in our hearts. It's the image of Adam, the first man, the one who fell. It's the image of death. For one, by one man, you know, death entered into the world, right? Death passed upon all men because, through him, through Adam. Romans 5. Every one of us are born with the image of Adam. But Jesus Christ comes and places his image and takes the image of Adam away when you place your faith truly in him. This is what Charles Wesley meant in the Christmas hymn when he said, Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. That's the idea here. God wants to make all of us his signet ring so that whatever happens is an impression of him and not you in the lives of others. The honor flights referred to earlier have something very special that the vets don't know about. I guess Art will if he ever goes on one now. They have a mail call. They have a mail call where they, on the plane, they start, they call out people, last name, then first, and they hand out these envelopes stuffed full of letters from family and friends and little school kids who draw pictures. And every veteran knows how important mail call is. My brother Steve, who served in Vietnam, said, you know, Patty said, I used to get a letter from mom every day. I mean, no offense to mom, but I got tired of her letters. I don't say that to mom, Steve. He said, but when dad wrote me a Oh my goodness, he said, that was like gold. Got a letter from dad. We have mail call here from Father God, our heavenly dad. Would you cherish his letter to you that says, I want to invite you to my kingdom to my banquet where you'll sit down with me and you will no longer be stripped down but you'll be dressed up. My image will be stamped on you and you'll enjoy eternity with me. Will you accept that letter from God? Will you accept that mail call from God? God is constantly stripping us down to bring us back to his gospel, whether you're a Christian or not. But if you're not a Christian, that means his image isn't in your heart, and you need, desperately need that image. Humble yourself before God and receive his son, the Lord Jesus, the greater Zerubbabel, right? The king of kings, lord of lords, to whom we will all bow one day. Some of us, We'll get to eat with him. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the message of Haggai and this special encouragement to the governor who bore no signet ring, but you would make one. You would make into a signet ring. You would put your impression through him just as you desire to do with us today. 
I pray for all of us, Lord, that are struggling right now with some form of stripping down going on in our lives. And perhaps we've resisted that, Lord. We're blaming other people. We're maybe even blaming you and saying, this isn't right. This isn't good. This, uh, I don't deserve this or something. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to change our perspective and see that whatever stripping down we're enduring, be it physical, be it relational, be it psychological, be it financial, whatever it may be, you are relentlessly pursuing us so that we might be better and more conformed, more morphed into the image of Jesus so that we can make a better impression, your impression, through us on others. I pray for those, Lord, who still have Adam's likeness still stamped on their hearts right now, that they would humble themselves and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to his death and resurrection we sang about earlier would be theirs. And in turn, Lord, you would stamp the image of Jesus on them. Pray in Christ's name.